chapter 4. I don't know about you, but as I'm going through this book of James, it seems like every time I get a little uncomfortable. Because James cuts to the chase. I mean, he gets down to the nitty-gritty. Um, was it? I think it was Martin Luther said... Martin Luther said that this James was the gospel in overalls. So we're real life. Anyway, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight in war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whoso therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. So the title of the message tonight is War in the Church. War in the Church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word. And we pray that as we look into the word of God tonight, we allow the Spirit of God to teach us, to instruct us, to challenge us and bring conviction where it's needed. That you might be glorified and we might be helped. And we'll praise you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the last place you would think that there would be war would be in a church. Aren't Christians supposed to be peace-loving people? <laughs> well, somebody has said, you know, all war is caused by religion. I would agree with that. Religion, not Christianity. A lot of people don't differentiate between religion and Christianity. Religion is described or defined as a set of beliefs concerning the cause, nature, or purpose of the universe. And I would say that, by that definition, socialism is a religion. Communism is really a religion of humanism. It's the exaltation of man as the ultimate source of truth and power. Uh, <clears throat> but Christianity, true Bible Christianity is not for war. We have enemies, but we are not to be at enmity against anyone. We believe what the Bible teaches is liberty of conscience. One of the things I was explaining when I was in Taiwan, was it two years ago now? I guess we married that long. Uh, two years ago now. Yeah, that uh, to a young fellow there, he's a college student that, Evan at the time was having uh, classes with, or Bible studies with, and he didn't understand. He said that, you know, why there'd be people in America that hated Trump? (laughs) Uh, I said, you don't understand. There's communists in America. He said, there is. How can there be communists in America? I said, because our Constitution gives freedom of conscience. In other words, you can believe whatever you want. If you want to be a Muslim in America, you can be a Muslim. If you want to be a communist in America, you can be a communist. If you want to be an atheist in America, you can be an atheist. 
those are, that is a Bible principle. We're to have liberty of conscience. And, of course, that comes from the Scriptures. And that's what Christians teach. Religion, on the other hand, coerces or uh, forces people to follow their set of beliefs because, after all, we are a threat to their existence. Uh, but the word war here is described in Ma- or James chapter 4. It does mean, it means strife, disputes, or quarrels. The word fightings means combat of persons at variance, at contention with one another. And so he says, come, whence come wars and fightings among you? And he, I want to notice several things about this, about these wars. First of all, the source of them, the source of war. He says in verse 1, come from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members. So the source of the wars is the lust within our members. The lust refers to desires or pleasures. It's things that we desire to satisfy our own feelings, our own wants, our own desires. And these cause, these cause contentions or fightings or wars. Proverbs 13.10 says, Only by pride cometh contention, but with a well-advised is wisdom. So if there's contention somewhere, guess what? There's pride. There's pride. Somebody's wanting their own way. Uh, so it comes from the lust within, and he, he says these lusts war in your members. Now, I, I consider that word members there, and I believe what it refers to is it, it's, it's they war in the members of the body. I think he's referring to the body of the church. A New Testament church. It's referred to as a body. It's a body of believers assembled together. After all, we have examples of this in the New Testament. At Corinth, there was divisions and strifes. In Galatia, he warned them about divisions and strifes among them. So, so there, there are examples. You know, and, and the word war here, that second word war, is actually a military term. It's, it's, it's a Greek word, strateo, or stratuo, or something like that. Anyways, where we get our English word strategy. Now you think about that a little bit. It's to make a military expedition. It's to lead soldiers to war or to battle. And so the idea here is there's some disagreement. And rather than address it uh, between members, they start building up sides and forces against each other and have a strategy. Did you ever see that happen? <clears throat> you know, after pastoring in Maine, that church we did in Maine, I said, nothing will surprise me ever again. That happens in churches. And one of the men said to me, he said, you know, we were always fighting with somebody. We were always fighting with somebody. Um, 
And so, you know, they try to persuade other people to agree with them to make an organized assault. That's what's what the idea here is. You know, it happens in governments, in politics. We kind of expect it almost there. But in church, it happens in churches and happens in homes. And it's all to satisfy our desires or lusts or lusts or pleasures that we have for position or preeminence or to make me look good or whatever there is. This is the source. This is, he says this is the source of these wars and fightings among you. It's our own lusts. Now, what you notice the second thing, this war is fueled by envy or jealousy. Notice verse 2. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. The word lust here in verse 2 is a little bit different. It says to set your heart upon or to covet. What someone has the idea of covet, something you set your heart upon. Again, that would be a desire. The word desire, again, these words are similar, but the word desire here, the Greek word means to move with envy or to be jealous over. So you have a something that somebody has set their heart on that somebody else maybe has and they're envious over it or they're coveting it. And they can't obtain it. They're powerless to get it, it seems. They're unable to get what, they, what the other one has. What the awful fail, we fail to understand is it's God that gives us what we have. It's not things that we can get of the, that can be attained by the lust of the flesh. And, and so he says, we, he says you, you lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. This isn't a very good description of human nature, is it? Uh, the word kill here means to absolutely commit murder. Now Ahab could not buy Naboth's vineyard. So, he submitted himself to Jezebel's scheme. Let's just get rid of Naboth. And you know, many a man has had his reputation damaged or ministry affected by someone who is jealous or envious. I was involved in a fiasco with a church camp. Seems like I get on a lot of fiascos, but I was involved in a fiasco with a church camp for a year. This camp director had had diabetes and he had uh, nerves in his legs that were dying so he could no longer run the camp. So he kept looking for somebody to work with him for a while and then take over it. However, nobody ever worked out that could take over the leadership of the camp because, well, it was a family farm. That's all I can say about it. But anyway, I found out that, <clears throat> that uh, of course, I didn't work out either. But I found out there was another man that one of the board members had talked to years after he had worked with this man. And he, he loved the ministry. He loved that camp. And, I mean, he, he, he felt that the Lord, that's what the Lord wanted him to do. But one day the camp director came to him and said the board had agreed that he just wasn't a fit and that he was just to leave. He was just devastated. 
none of the other board members ever talked to him about it. Because they left everything decisions and everything to the director and it found out that the board didn't even know he had told the man that. What he told the board was he decided he didn't want any part of the camp anymore and just left. See, it was jealousy, envy. Proverbs 27.4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? You know, Joseph was sold into slavery and considered dead by his father. Why? Because his brothers envied him. Envied him. In Matthew 15, verse 10, the Bible says, For he knew, that is, Pilate, knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. Envy moved them to put to death the Son of God. And again, I would say to you, they knew who he was. They knew he was a man sent from God. Nicodemus told Jesus that himself. We know, he said, we know that thou art a man sent from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest. Envy moved them to deliver him to death. Acts chapter 7 verse 9 says, Then the patriarchs moved with envy, sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. In Acts 13.45, when Paul is on his missionary journeys, the Bible says this, But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Here these Jews, because they were jealous of the people that were attracted to Paul's preaching, became jealous and envious of that and rejected the truth and condemned themselves to hell. Because they were envious. Envious. So who can stand before envy? And James here says, You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have and can't obtain, you fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. I want you to notice the third thing. This war is unnecessary. Now, I know that's not real earth-shattering and shocking, but look at verses 2, the end of verse 2 and verse 3. The last phrase of verse 2 says, Yet you have not because you ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. So they were fighting, there was fighting and war. By the way, of course, uh, James is writing to the Jews, uh, the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. This is kind of typical of, uh, seems to be, uh, you know, if you study the Old Testament and, and the journeys of the children of Israel, this seems to be the kind of thing that, that off went on. So there was this, there's this fighting and warring, this quarreling or wrangling over. But, but again, we asked ourselves, Why? It is not necessary. We don't have to live this way. We can obtain fellowship and peace with God and the wisdom of God. Why do we not? That's the question we ought to ask. Well, the answer is right here. I'll give you two reasons. 
we're too proud to ask. That's the first one. Verse 2 again. Yet you have not because you ask not. Means to ask for oneself, to request for oneself. How many of you men, when you buy something that needs assembled, do you read the directions first? Or if you're lost, you will ask for directions. Of course, nobody gets lost anymore. You have Google, you know, and Google Maps and MapQuest and and all those things. Uh, but you know, we 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 have this idea, men and women. I don't need anybody's help. I can figure it out myself. Now I'm a do-it-yourselfer through and through. But I've, I have figured out some things in 57 years, sometimes the hard way, that the way that God helps me many times is through people. And not only people teaching me, this might shock you, but people disagreeing with me. You know, that camp experience and them, them disagreeing with me taught me a lot because it required that I examine what I believed. I had to study it through. See, it, it brought me, it required that I examine what I believed to prove it from Scripture. You know, that helped me. That helped me immensely. So it's not only people that teach me, that have taught me, that have helped me, but it's people who have disagreed with me. As much as I dislike people disagreeing with me. After all, when we get to heaven, you all know that I'll be right. (laughs) (laughs) Nah. Anyway. Um, You see, it it challenges us when, when... when we are challenged with the truth, you know, it's, it's a good exercise. You know, sometimes you, uh, you know, uh, people have said to me you know, when they're out in visitation and, and they've had somebody challenge them for what they believe. And I always say, that's a good exercise for you. I remember a couple of years ago, some, some, some of our young people got, ran into to a guy who at one point was going to go to the mission field. And he didn't go to the mission, but he ended up buying a, a house in Wake Forest. And he, he bought it to purpose to minister to some people in the bad part of Wake Forest. And in, 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 a, in, the, in the journey of the time between then and they ran into him that day, he had become an atheist. And wrote a book about why he was an atheist. And he challenged them. And, and you know, they, they were trying to give him, they, and they gave him some good answers. I said, that was a good exercise for you. It's a good exercise for you. It's good for us to be challenged. Because we can prove, we ought to be able to prove from the scriptures what we believe. But, but it requires of us, it does require of us that we ask. See, we have not because we ask not. You know, that requires humility. And, and sometimes what it does is it requires us to say, sometimes, 
I don't know, but I'll find out. I don't know, but I'll find out. You know, there's no shame in saying, I don't know the answer to that. But I'll find out. You know, if you, if you ever come to that place, you know, call Pastor Webb or something like that, you know. Uh, you know but, you know, I'll, I don't know, but I'll find out. No. That's what I always tell people. I don't know. Go ask Pastor Webb. He knows everything. Um, except a few things. Anyway. Uh, so, but we, we, see, we have not because we ask not. We're too proud to ask. There's a second reason he gives here, James gives here. We ask for selfish reasons. Notice verse 3, he says, You ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that you may consume it upon your lust. Now that word amiss is not a word that we use. It's an old English word. It means improperly, wrongly, or to speak ill of, or to revile one, or to ask with bad intent. So, why do you, what, do you, what is the reason you're asking for that? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. I was reading a book by an older preacher, and um, <clears throat> uh, I, I'm not impressed with his writing, but just some of the thoughts he gives are, he, he was kind of a, one person referred to him as a shock and awe preacher. And, um, but you know, some of the thoughts he gives are, are, like, in your face, why didn't you ever think of that before? And uh, one of the things he said was, too often in prayer, we come to God with our wish list, and prayer is worship. It's first worship. But we think it as a wish list to get what we want. You know, is that how Moses prayed? Go to, go to Exodus chapter 32. Yeah, that was, that was something that really challenged me. Exodus chapter 32. And when the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord, they had made the golden calf. You remember, uh, while well, Moses was up on the mountain, the 40 days, getting the Ten Commandments, and, and of course they hear the music and so on and so forth, and they come down and see all this, and and, uh, you know, he, he destroys the calf, grinds it to powder, makes them drink it, and draws a line in the sand, and, you know, there's 3,000 of them die that day. But anyway, he goes back up to the Lord again. And in verse 9 of Exodus 32, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Therefore, let me alone, that I my, my wrath may wax hot against them, and I, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee, Moses, thee a great nation. Now, I don't know about you, if, if you'd have been leading a cantankerous, uh, uh, stiff-necked bunch of people, and Moses said, let me get rid of them, or God says, let me get rid of them, I'll make of you a great nation. You know what I say? Ah, do it. I mean, wouldn't I like to have a great nation? Do it, Lord, do it. Isn't that common sense? Yeah. But that's not what Moses does. Look at verses 11 through verse 14. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, 
why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and sayest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And verse 14 says, And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto this people. You know, Moses, the Bible tells us in Numbers that Moses was the meekest man on the earth. And here Moses has the opportunity to become a great nation. But he's not concerned about himself. What he is concerned about is the Lord's glory. And so he reminds the Lord, Lord, what will the Egyptians say? What will the world say about you if you destroy this people who you promised to take into this land and who you promised to give this land forever? And you made those promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. What will the world say if you destroy them? And you know what the Lord said to Moses? Bible's revised version. Moses, you're right. You know what Moses did here? He prayed the Lord's word back to him. He took God's own words and prayed them back to him for the sake of these stiff-necked and wicked people. He had, you know, here's a man who, you know, who at one time was a mighty leader, mighty in words and deeds, but spent 40 years in the desert taking care of sheep. And through that 40 years, he became the meekest man on the earth. He didn't seek anything of himself. What he did seek was the honor and glory of God. And that's what he prayed for. That's what he sought. In his prayer, that's what he sought. The honor and glory of God. And when Israel got to Jordan 40 years later, what did Rahab say? We heard what God did. We heard what God did, and our hearts did melt. But how often do we ask for me? We ask for ourselves. We're not seeking God's honor. We're not seeking God's glory. We're seeking our own. Our own wants, our own desires. You know, it, There's nothing wrong with desiring to prosper or to get a better paying job, but why do you want it? 
so you can indulge. You know, he, he, he says here, uh, to consume it upon our lust, to waste what we receive in luxurious indulgence living. Is that why we are, we're seeking those things? To satisfy our fleshly desires? You know, that's like the, uh, the, the, the foolish farmer. I remember Brother, Brother uh, Forney preached the message on the foolish farmer. Who, who, who had an abundance of harvest, and so he didn't know what to do, so he decided to tear down his barns and build greater and bigger barns, so he could, not so he could give more to God or glorify God with it, so that he could eat, drink, and be merry. That's not our purpose in life. It has nothing to do with riches. It has to do with our motives. Why? Why? Why are you asking for that? That's the question the Lord's saying here to us. What's our intended motives? Because you see, asking for self puts us against God. Notice verse 4. Notice verse 4. It says, ye adulterers and adulteresses. Now, he's not referring, I don't believe he's referring to here that they were committing adultery, physical adultery in the church. What he's referring to is they were unfaithful to God. When we seek that which pleases us, we are unfaithful to God. Like a spouse would be unfaithful to a spouse. So know ye not, ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whoso therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. So if we ask amiss, or if we're too proud to ask, we are setting ourselves, or putting ourselves, against God. To ask amiss is to ask for love of self or love of the things of the world. Friendship or fondness, that's the idea of friendship here. Friendship or fondness for the world is like adultery or unfaithfulness to God. And we know that the world is at enmity against God. Psalm 2 says in verses 1 through 4, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. You know, the world wants rid of us. You know, this whole, this whole, it's my opinion that all this paranoia around this whole thing is pushing for a one world government. And one more religion. And communist control. Communist has, communism, the Chinese have an agenda. Communists always have an agenda. It's take over the world. They're doing pretty well in Italy. There's a reason why there's lots of cases in Italy. Because they've taken over parts of Italy. There are cities in Italy where the Chinese have their own police force. 
Uh, you see, this is all an enmity against God. And so the world is against God. First uh, John two fifteen through 17 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passed away in the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So when we ask for self or ask amiss, we are putting ourselves against God, at enmity against God. And this is, this is the truth of Scripture. If you notice in verse 5, he says this, Do you think that the Scripture saith in the vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth in me. Now this is, a, this, is a, this is a problem verse. I shouldn't say a problem. A verse is hard to interpret. Most commentators, you know, the, the, notice the word Spirit. Most people refer to this as the Spirit, referring to the Spirit of God. But the word Spirit is not capitalized. And usually when the I think in all, almost all cases, um, when the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit, it's always capitalized. At least it should be. I think our translators knew what they were doing. I think this is referring to our human spirit. And when it says here, the spirit dwelleth in us, lusteth to envy. It means our spirit, the heart of the natural man, what it does is it harbors Forbidden desires or things that are contrary to the law of God. That's what we all do by nature. We harbor things that are contrary, that are opposed to God. That's that's the nature of humanity. And so he says, the scripture saith, now there's no quotation of that that you can be found anywhere. But the Bible says this in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Romans chapter 7. <clears throat> Here's the principle. And Paul talked about this in many places. This is the Apostle Paul. And this is the struggle that he had that we all have if we're honest and we have to learn to, to, to overcome and to subdue it is Romans 7, verse 15, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that it, that it is good. Now then it is no more I that dwelleth, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good which that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, O Lord. So with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So Paul's saying, you know, here, he, this is not, you know, some try to say that this was, Paul was talking about this, he wrote this and thinking about his life before he got saved. That is not true. He's talking about 
his life as an apostle. And the struggles he had in, the, in his flesh. That's why he told the Corinthians, I, sub- I bring my body into subjection. In other words, I beat it down. I have to beat it down. You know, the, when he says I bring my, it's the idea of buffeting it. Like you would pummel somebody with your fists and beat them down. Paul said, I have to beat myself down, my flesh. I have to beat it down every day or it'll control me. You see, man's spirit harbors lusts, evil desires. That's our spirit. Well, we we have to work at bringing it into subjection. It harbors forbidden desires. He talked about this in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Excuse me. Galatians 5 and verse 13 through 17. I know this isn't popular preaching, but it's the truth. Galatians 5 verse 13. For brethren, you have been called on the liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another... Take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. And so, uh, and, and then if you drop down in verse 24, he says, And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh... With the affections lost. Same idea. Putting that flesh into subjection every day. So he crucified the flesh with its affections, with its lust. If we live in the Spirit, we also, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. So he's writing to these believers at Galatians. He says, you know, you've got to struggle. You know, liberty is a wonderful thing, but don't you allow it to be an occasion to your flesh. See, a lot of people think, have this idea, and we have this very popular notion today, that it's all of grace, brother. It doesn't matter how we live. But what does grace teach us? Well, my Bible tells me in Titus 2.11, the grace of God teaches us to deny godliness and worldly lusts, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. It doesn't say, oh, I'm saved by grace. It doesn't matter how I live. That's not what it says. It's the contrary. It tells me I got to work at subduing this flesh and living to please the Spirit of God who also dwells within me. And so there's this battle that rages in my life. As Paul said, the things I would not, that I do. I got to struggle. As I mentioned earlier, the church of Corinth, you know, and this is real life. We see it in the Bible. Examples. The church at Corinth had divisions. Strive. I mean, it, was, it, it, was, it had the potential of dividing the church. Paul struggled in his own life with this. And so, you know, and think about this. You know, Paul said, and he talked about a thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And 
you know, and he concludes in that section by saying that, uh, that you know, the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for me. But, but I really believe that if, you know, Paul was just a man like you and I are. He isn't just some super guy who's way up there who never had struggles with his flesh, as he says in Romans chapter 7. You know, he, I think that Paul probably thought, you know, this thorn flesh is really frustrating. I'm sure there were days he, thought, he said, this thing is really frustrating. And he prayed, and he asked the Lord to take it away. Do you know what the Lord said? He told him that two-letter word that we don't like to hear. No. He said, no. He said, my grace is sufficient. And you need to learn to be content with it. You know, there are things that the Lord allows into our lives we don't like. We have to learn to be content with them. Sometimes it's sickness, ailments. We don't like them. But sometimes we have to learn to be content and accept what God brings into our life. Otherwise, you know what there's going to be? A continual war in your life against God. which will manifest itself in irritation and strife with other people. So James says, where do these things come from? And I don't have time, and it was my intention to go into the but. Praise the Lord for some of the buts in the Bible. God giveth more grace. God giveth more grace. And we'll pick up there next time. But we need, to, we need to realize that the wars and fightings come from our own lusts, our own desires. And we have them because we ask not, or we ask amiss, or we're not content with what the Lord brings or allows in our lives. You know, sometimes there's, there's some people that I've known who are not content with what God has given them. They always want to be like somebody else. You know, I used to be like that. I'd say, I wish I could preach like that guy. I finally realized that one day, I'm not that guy. I'm not him. I don't have to be like him. I'm just supposed to do the best with what the Lord has given me and please him and not worry about that guy. That's what Jesus said to Peter. Remember in John chapter 21, he told Peter to feed my sheep. Then he told him how he's going to die. Peter said, what about him? And he said, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. You could be content with what I've given you to do, and you let him take care of him. Let's pray.